Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Adrian, thank you very much indeed. Well, let me encourage you to keep those uh, Bibles open. Uh, We'll be turning um, to Hebrews uh, right through uh, this next 20 minutes. And uh, as we sit, let me pray for us. Now, Father, we've been singing that you would speak to us. We pray that that would be the case now as we look at your word. Uh, Would you speak in the very depth of our being? And may this be a life-transforming moment for us, for your praise and glory. Amen. Amen. Well, what a a terrific year we've had. The Queen's Jubilee, Euro 2012, Andy Murray reaching the Wimbledon final, Bradley Winnings at Wiggins winning the uh, Tour de France, and now the Olympics and the summer holidays, and even uh, the sun a little bit last week. Now, it's the Olympics and the summer holidays that have inspired this series, looking through Hebrews chapter 11, that we will do over these next uh, Sundays uh, until the children go back to school. At the beginning of the uh, school summer holidays, I have found myself thinking back to favourite holidays, favourite vacations. And it won't surprise you to hear that one of the most memorable holidays we ever had was in Hawaii 14 years ago. And the most memorable part of that most memorable holiday was going snorkelling off the coast of the island of Maui. The day started with us uh, boarding a boat and sailing for about an hour to a reef where the boat lowered its anchor and off we went. Now, not being a very strong swimmer, I was a little apprehensive at first, but after a while I was in my element. I absolutely loved it. It was an unforgettable experience. There were, however, two scary moments while we were snorkelling. The first was when someone shouted, Shark! Now, it was then that I believe I swam back to the boat in a qualifying time that would have enabled me to be part of the Olympic swimming team. I need to tell you someone did say friendly shark, but friendly and shark aren't two words that go together in my vocabulary. Apart from the shark, the other uh, scary experience on that trip was when I became so engrossed in the amazing sights of the fish and the coral, so engrossed that after a time of snorkeling with my head down for some time, I lifted up my head to see the boat had gone. So there I was, stranded miles from the shore, abandoned in the middle of the ocean, and my wife was on this trip. After a moment of total panic, I looked around and saw the boat some distance off from me and off to one side. And then I realised the boat hadn't moved at all. The anchor was down. It was me that had moved. As I was snorkelling, floating on the surface of the the sea, I drifted with the current. Uh, But it had been so gradual I hadn't even noticed it. And I tell you that story because that's a huge danger in the Christian life. Spiritual drift. Drifting away from not a boat, but from Jesus Christ. It's dangerous because drift happens so gradually that we barely notice it. Until suddenly, one day, we lift up our eyes and we find ourselves a long way from Jesus Christ. It's possible for it to happen to any of us. But it was a, a very real and present danger for the recipients of the letter called Hebrews. Turn with me, if you will, back to chapter 2. Just one verse in chapter 2 that begins to open up the whole book, I think. Chapter 2 and verse 1, page 1201. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 1. Do you see what the writer says? He says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away so that we do not drift 
That is what the writer is warning his readers of, spiritual drift, of drifting away from Jesus Christ. Now for these first readers, they they had begun to drift away from Jesus and back towards Judaism. Uh, They were Christians who had been Jews, which is why this letter is called Hebrews. They were Jews who had become Christians, but now they were tempted to, to drift back to the Jewish faith. And it's easy to spot why as you read through the book. Judaism was so much more tangible than Christianity. And for that reason, it seemed more real than Christianity. Somebody said to me a few years back, I find, I find it so hard to love Jesus. How can I love someone that I can't see? That's something of the difficulty the Hebrews felt. They'd come from a faith system which was very visual. They could go to a physical temple and see an actual priest where they could offer real sacrifices. Now, well now we read in chapter 1, their great high priest was Jesus. He, and he um, was now sat down at the right hand of the Father in heaven where, where they couldn't see him. And their sacrifice, well, it was the body of Jesus Christ, offered once for all, as we read later on in the book. Again, they couldn't see that sacrifice because he was seated at the right hand of God. And their temple was Jesus. They now no longer needed to go to a building to meet the living God. They could enter the most holy place through the body of Christ. They could draw near to God anywhere. Now, while that is very good news, it was very difficult for them because they had nothing to look at, nothing to touch, nowhere to go, nothing to fix their eyes on. And while it's very different for us today, because we're not first century Jews, I find some Christians struggling with a very similar thing. So, uh, for some Christians, a, a church building becomes the place that makes their faith real. So some people find that they must go into a church building to pray. And when some people go to a building that in their eyes doesn't quite look like a church, they find their faith wobbling. Or if things in this building change, they become shaky and disorientated. We find it so much easier to have our eyes fixed on tangible things. And that's why the Hebrews were drifting from genuine Christianity and starting to drift back into Judaism. And that's why in this letter we read the words that we just had read. Turn with me to chapter 12 and verse 2. We're making our way towards chapter 11. We'll get there in just a moment. Look at chapter 12 and verse 2. Now you'll know these words well. See what he says? Chapter 12 verse 2. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. Don't fix your eyes on the things you can see. Fix your eyes on Jesus, on the one you can't see. But how can I do that? How can we fix our eyes on someone we cannot see? Well, look at chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us by fixing our eyes on Jesus. The writer says, follow the example of those who've gone before you. That's what he says in chapter 12, verse 1. See, in chapter 11, we are given a a wonderful catalogue of Old Testament believers who fixed their eyes on things they could not see. They are, chapter 12, verse 1, the great cloud of witnesses that now surround us. They should inspire us to keep going in the Christian life. By faith, they fix their eyes on things to come. 
And so they are recorded in chapter 11 here to help us not to drift. And more positively, they should inspire us, chapter 12, verse 1, to run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Next Sunday, the 5th of August, millions of people in this country and around the world, hundreds of millions around the world, will be glued to their television sets to watch the men's 100 metres final. We'll watch Usain Bolt, Johan Blake, Asafa Powell, if they get through the heats, and I presume they will, and five other sprinters charge down the track and it'll all be over in ten seconds. It is the blue ribbon event of the athletics and some would say of the entire Olympic Games as eight men seek to be known as the fastest man on the planet. But exciting as that will be, and it will be, and I'll be watching, exciting as that race will be, as we read Hebrews chapter 11 over these next weeks, I want to encourage us not to think in terms of the men's 100 metres next Sunday, but an event that will happen earlier that same day, the women's marathon. Because the Christian life is, is a marathon, not a sprint. The race marked out for us, referred here in chapter 12, verse 1, is a race that, do you see it there in chapter 12, verse 1, needs perseverance. It's a race that, that lasts a lifetime. We'll need to keep going. And there'll be times in that race when we'll feel like dropping out, or like the Hebrews, when we just drift away, drifting back until one day we look and look up and find ourselves so far behind the field that we're not even in the race any longer. As we've already thought, that happens so easily. Uh, during my uh, sabbatical last year, I began to see just how easy it is to drift out of the Christian life On sabbatical, for the first time in 20 years, I had no responsibilities on Sundays. I didn't have to go to church. And when the sun was shining and there were other things to do, or when I felt tired and fancied a lie-in and a leisurely breakfast with the Sunday newspapers, something I hadn't been able to do for 20 years, I realised how easy it would be not to come to church. And then how easy it would be to only come every other week or so. Of course, still saying my prayers and reading my Bible during the week, still a Christian, but just not as involved with God's people anymore. Perhaps not as committed to a small group anymore. And then coming sporadically. Now that easily leads to to stopping meeting with God's people altogether, just gradually, over time, and then not reading my Bible and praying and no one to spur me on to do that. And before you realise it, you have no meaningful walk with the Lord. That's the danger of drift. It's not intentional. It's so gradual we don't even notice it. Now I reckon there's, there's many people who live in this area who've, who've just drifted like that. People who used to come here regularly but are, are, are no longer involved. You, you'll, know, you'll know them. I see people at the school gate and down at the village. People who used to attend but they don't come any longer. They've drifted away. No big moment for them. No, no decision not to come any longer, just, just drifted away. Now you'll know people who fall into that category. Please pray for those people, please befriend them, please invite them back to church. And if it's appropriate, talk to me about them. I'll go and visit them and see if I can encourage them back. It's the danger of spiritual drift and the book of Hebrews warns of that danger. And so chapter 11, which we're going to look at over these weeks and in a moment we'll get to, should inspire us to avoid drift And more positively, as chapter 12, verse 1 says, to be inspired by these characters in chapter 11 to run uh, with perseverance the race marked out for us by fixing our eyes on Jesus. And so through these summer Sundays, we're going to study 
characters of Hebrew, the characters of Hebrews chapter 11. Why are we doing it? It'll be training for the marathon that is the Christian life. The legacy should be to leave us committed to and knowing how to persevere in the race by fixing our eyes on Jesus. And so as we uh, come to almost look at chapter 11, just flick back with me to chapter 10 as we eventually get into chapter 11. Chapter 10 really gives us the reason why this is so crucial. Chapter 10, verse 35. Do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. There's our word. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. For just a little while, he who is coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. But we are, those, are not those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who, are, who believed and are saved. Do you see what this is saying? Verse 36 tells us that we need to persevere if we're to receive what God has promised. Uh, we need to live a life of faith if we're going to enjoy the great promise of eternal life. For God says, verse 38, my righteous one, the righteous, will live by faith. Indeed, verse 39, those who shrink back, those who drift away, are destroyed. Here's why this matters so much. Running the race is not about getting a gold medal. It's far more important than that. It matters for eternity. And so because, verse 38, the righteous live by faith, we need to know what living by faith looks like. And that's what chapter 11 is all about. And we read verse 1. Finally, we're there. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. A famous verse in the Bible. But look, this is not an exhaustive definition of faith, but it's what the Hebrews needed to hear about faith. You see, end of verse 1, they needed to be certain of what they did not see because they wanted to drift back into a faith system which gave them things they could see with their physical eyes. Now, they needed to fix their eyes on Jesus who they couldn't see. They need to be sure of what they hoped for, sure of the things they didn't yet have. In a sentence, Christians are people who live for things that we cannot touch or see. And that's what we read about in this chapter, verse 2. Four, verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended for. Now, as we look through chapter 11 over these weeks, listen to these words by F.F. Bruce. He writes these. The writer points out that in Old Testament times, there were many men and women who had nothing but the promises of God to rest upon without any visible evidence that these promises would ever be fulfilled. He goes on to say, their faith consisted simply in taking God at his word and directing their lives accordingly. That's what we're going to see in these men and women of faith. The rest of the chapter then is a wonderful series of cameos of of Old Testament believers who lived by faith. But before we look at any of those characters, the writer wants us to look at something really foundational. Verse 3. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is visible was not made out of what was visible. Sorry, I didn't read that very well, did I? So that what, what is seen was not made out of what was visible. 
Verse 3 is a surprise, isn't it? You see, look at the way it works. Verse 2, we would expect to be followed by verse 4. Verse 2, this is what the ancients were commended to. 4, verse 4, I tell you about the first of the ancients by by faith able. That's what we would expect, wouldn't it? We'd expect the next verse to be verse 4. But we're introduced to, uh, not introduced to any of the great examples of faith. The writer drops in verse 3 before he does that. Because verse 3 is foundational to understanding where faith comes from. Crucially, we're told here that the universe was formed at God's command, or as the ESV translated, by the word of God. Verse 3, that's what we understand. And why is that our understanding, verse 3? We understand that by faith. Uh, Where does that faith come from? It comes from the word of God. Because it is the word of God that repeatedly tells us God created the world. It's the first verse in the Bible, isn't it? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's right through that first chapter of the, of the, of the Bible. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, we had it read for us. Verse 3, God said, let there be light, and there was light. Verse 6, God said, let the, there be an expanse between the waters to separate from water from water. And it was so. Verse 9, God said, let the water under the sky be gathered to one place, and it was so. Verse 11, God said, let the land produce vegetation, and it was so. Verse 14, God said, let there be lights, and it was so. Verse 24, God said, and it was so. God created the world, he spoke, and it was so. And it's not just the first chapter of the Bible that teaches this point. The psalmist makes the same point. That's Psalm 33. Verse 6, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made and their starry host by the breath of his mouth. Verse 9, for he spoke and it came to be, he commanded, it stood firm. The psalmist said, God spoke and it came to be. By the word of the Lord were the heavens made. And why do we believe that? We understand that by faith. That's what Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 says. And so Hebrews chapter 11 quite deliberately starts not with one of the great men and women of faith, but rather with the creation of the world. So that we can see that faith is entirely tied up with God's word. Why do we understand that the universe was formed by God's word? Because we we didn't see it. We weren't there when the earth was formless and empty. We believe it because the word of God tells us. And that's where faith comes from. That's the key point. Faith comes from the word of God. And so Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 tells us that faith comes through that word. And that tells us how we'll keep going in the Christian life, how we'll avoid the danger of spiritual drift, how we'll fix our eyes on Jesus whom we cannot see. We do that through hearing God's word. How do I see Jesus? In the word of God. Faith is not something that I have to muster up in myself, you see. That's one of the great misunderstandings of faith. Oh, people often say to me, I wish I had your faith. As if somehow I sit at home and sort of muster it all up. As if it's come from in me. It doesn't come from in me. It comes from here, from the word of God. Read the word of God, your faith will grow. And the word of God teaches us something very important as well, it says in verse 3. It teaches us how powerful God's word is. See, that's the point in verse 3. By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command or by the word of God. 
By God's word, God created. Do you see it in the second half of verse 3? By God's word, God created what is seen out of what was not visible. Well, look, if God can do that with creation, making things um, that are now seen out of the invisible, then we can be sure everything else he promises in his word will come to pass. The word that was able to create the universe is the word that has promised us forgiveness through the death of Christ on the cross. The word that was able to create the universe has promised us life after death through Jesus' bodily resurrection from the grave. That same word that made the universe has promised us eternal life in the presence of God in the new creation. All these things that we cannot see. But they are certain because they have been promised us in God's word. And verse 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. As we come to a close then, these Hebrew Christians were very tempted to drift back into Judaism because in Judaism they, they had something they could see with their physical eyes. Now I'm no different. When I begin to drift away from the Lord Jesus and drift out of the Christian life, it, it's because of the things I can see that it seemed to be more real to me. But look again at the end of verse 3. What is seen, this is how it should be translated, what is seen was made out of what was not visible. Now look, if everything I see was made out of what was not visible, that should help me to grasp that the unseen world came first. But I'm always tempted away from Jesus when I want to look at, I'm I'm more believing in the things I can see when I want to have holidays and a house and money and materialism and travel and tennis and sport and sex, these things I can see and touch all seem more real to me than the God who is unseen. And they seem more certain than God's eternal home that I hope for. And so to get things back into perspective, I must read God's word. The word that has promised me unseen, eternal things. The word that is so powerful that it brought about the creation of the world. Then I can know that the word of God's promise is as certain and sure as anything I can see. It is then, as I read God's word, that God's word of promise gives me the faith to persevere in the Christian life. It is in reading God's word of promise that I can fix my eyes on Jesus even though I can't see him. And over the next weeks we'll see that in the great witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11... We see in them how to avoid spiritual drift and run with perseverance the race marked out for us by fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and completer of our faith. Let's pray together. Now, Father, our situation might be very different from the first readers of the book of Hebrews. We recognise that we may not be uh, tempted to drift back into Judaism. But you know our hearts. And you know how tempting it is to want the things that are, are visible to us far more than the things that are invisible. Help us as we read your word to be those who believe that the invisible things are sure and certain 
because your word has told us so. May we be people then over this summer time who make sure that we do read the scriptures. And as we read them, would you grow our faith that we may keep going and not drift away, running with perseverance the race marked out for us. For your praise and glory. Amen.